Good morning. Thank you for joining us for worship here at Christ Central. I'm Harold, one of the pastors. Today, we're going to look at Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. So please follow along with me, starting at verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took with them in the boat just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? This is God's word for us today. The title of this message is Jesus' own question to his disciples. And it's the same question he asks of you and me today. Why are you so afraid? Let's just begin with the details. There's several little curious details here. It says they took him just as he was. What does that mean? Well, at the beginning of chapter 4, Jesus had to actually get into a boat because the crowd that had gathered was so very large. He was teaching the people from offshore. We heard from pastors Daniel and Daniel. Both parables in this chapter were taught from offshore, from a boat. Well... Here, in verse 36, it's saying that Jesus simply went from one boat into another boat. And they took him just as he was. Mark's account also goes on to describe, and there were other boats with him. Also, he goes on to say that Jesus, when the windstorm broke with fury, he was in the stern or the back part of the ship. Or the boat, and he had fallen asleep on the cushion. Now, what's with these little details? Why include them? Uh, None of these details on their own kind of advance the story in any significant way. Or if you want to make these little details much bigger deals than they are, allegorize and blow them up into full-on Bible studies or sermons, you can go ahead and do that, but good luck with that. Why are these little details here? Well, it's because Mark took this report from an eyewitness account. Do you remember? Mark, the author, relied heavily upon the testimony and the eyewitness accounts of Apostle Peter. And this episode, this episode where Jesus asks his disciples, why are you so afraid, is longer than any other account in the Gospels, possibly because... This traumatized Peter so deeply. So let's move from just some of these factual details to four movements. Four movements from this passage. The first is mortal fear. Second is unimaginable power. Third, mega fear. Fourth, last but not least, a mega calm. Four movements 
that'll guide us along in our study of this passage today. First is mortal fear. The commentators teach me this. I would not know this on my own. The Sea of Galilee, the scene of this incident, is 700 feet below sea level. 30 miles to the north is Mount Hermon, which rises 9,200 feet above sea level. That's a 10,000 feet of differential within 30 miles. So this created a clash of warm air coming up from the sea, cold air coming down from the mountains. It would whip up a lot of storms, lots of storms. It was common, the violent, spontaneous kind. Well, evidently right here in Mark chapter four, this might've been maybe a category four or five because these are lifelong professional experienced fishermen who are just freaking out. They are freaking out. Look at verse 37. It reads, and a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. There was too much water already in the boat. They were on the verge of dying, drowning. We go on in verse 38, but he was in the stern asleep on the cushion, uh, on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Professional, lifelong fisherman, screaming, panicking. Teacher, don't you care? Because we are dying, perishing right now. So this is a life or death moment type of fear. A terrible fear, a mortal fear. But I want you to see what Jesus does in response. At least he does three things to demonstrate his unimaginable power. At least three things here. First, we, re, uh, we read, he rebuked the wind and spoke to the sea. Now, in the Greek, you're going to have to trust me, those are two different words. Two different words that are translated into the English without parsing the difference of meanings between rebuke and speaking. I want us to just notice Jesus deals with the winds and the sea on different terms. In other words, Jesus has perfect code. A perfect code that is understandable for each. Harry Potter was able to speak to snakes. Jesus Christ here is able to speak to inanimate forces with perfect code. You might be thinking, oh, pastor, right here, you're doing the same thing that you mentioned up at the beginning. You're allegorizing. You're making too much of small details. Maybe, maybe I am, but I'll happily err on the side of marveling at how unimaginably powerful Jesus really is. Here's a second display. Jesus calms the raging storm storm with effortless simplicity effortless simplicity now all kinds of different people have different kinds of routines they put their game face on or they do all kinds of different things to quote unquote get into the zone like before a public performance a big interview a test some kind of showing that you have to do that matters a whole lot and you have to work up all kinds of preparations mentally and physically. You got to get maybe a good night's sleep. 
You have to even watch your diet. You got you to think about how much energy you use, you use up that day. I know I do, oftentimes. And my own family has learned the hard way that when I am preparing and studying for just one of these little sermons, uh, they've known better. You just got to leave them alone. You got to leave them alone for large chunks of time, large extended chunks of time. Because, you know, for me, it's kind of my sanctuary. Uh, it's actually sometimes a sublime sense that I get where in study and preparation and prayer, I feel like God walks into the room and he starts talking to me. And I really do want that every time before I get to talk to any of you. doesn't happen every time. But I've also shared with my counselor, it's highly addictive when that happens. And to be honest, it's just a letdown after that. But I want you to notice here with the great furious windstorm, what Jesus didn't have to do. He literally woke up from a nap. You can almost say he almost did this in his sleep. There's no kind of getting into the right frame of mind. Jesus was always and perfectly on. He was always in the zone. He doesn't have to pronounce elaborate, long, magical formulas. He doesn't, like other magicians, have to mention other powers or other names. No, he just says two words, two words, that's it. Peace, be still, effortless simplicity, and it worked. It worked. He calmed down the entire sea and all of its violent winds. Here's a third display of unimaginable power. The wind and sea obeyed like a child, like a child would obey. You know, normally after a hurricane comes and goes, the waves still rise. The waves still come for hours upon hours. Not here. All of a sudden, everything ceased. And there was a great calm. A dead calm. You know, this is unquestioned or incomparable power. It's like that of a conductor over an orchestra. Every person, every instrument obeys at the right time and in the right way. And in the Bible, and wide consensus among ancient cultures and literature, was that the sea was one of the most frightening things you could ever encounter, full of darkness and destruction. But here, Jesus has complete, complete command over all of the seas and over all of the winds. This is why in the same gospel, Mark chapter 14 Verses 61 to 62, while he's on trial before the highest religious council, here we read, but he, Jesus, remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am, I am. And you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Here's what Jesus revealed about himself. I am the highest power. I have ultimate power. In fact, I have all the power. And you religious leaders or kings or princes and presidents or anyone who comes and goes, you only have power because it's on a short-term loan from me. 
This is what Jesus claimed. Now follow with me in this. If Jesus has this kind of unimaginable power over the storms, over the winds and the seas, and over every other power, then there is a rhyme and reason for things. There is such a thing as sovereignty, even in the storms. Now, you and I may never be able to discern what that rhyme or reason can be. And in fact, if you grant that Jesus has unimaginable power, you must also grant that he may have unimaginable reasons. You have to have both. You can't have one without the other. If Jesus has unimaginable power over all things, do you really suppose that even if he stooped down to explain to you the reasons as to why he does all things, do you think you would even be able to understand them in this lifetime? You see, if Jesus has unimaginable power over all of creation, then he has unimaginable wisdom too. And there is a hope that we can cling to. There is, yes, a redemptive meaning and purpose that Jesus can unravel even in the eye of a hurricane. However, If you do not believe in Jesus as God, or if you do not believe in God at all, if you do not believe in God, that there is no God at the controls, well, then nobody has controls. You see, without supernature, you and I are at the random mercy of mother nature. Without a God, there makes no sense to make sense of anything. This Jesus, though, unimaginable power. Now, you might be thinking, you might be one of the lucky few throughout this entirety of the pandemic. You might feel, but I am doing great right now in every which way. In fact, my business is flourishing than ever before. And you don't feel or fear any storms about you. But can I tell you something? Mother nature will eventually come and break you down. It is wearing on you. It is tearing on you. Father time is undefeated. It will win. And for some of you, it comes tragically much sooner than you expected, an accident or a disease. Oh, look at the disciples' mortal life or death kind of fear. But then you look at the response of Jesus and at least three demonstrations of his unimaginable power. Oh, now let's get on to the third movement then. Here's the third movement. Mega fear. I want you to, you'll see why I call this mega fear. Before Jesus calmed the storm, in the midst of that windstorm, the disciples were deathly afraid. But by the end of this passage, after Jesus calmed the storm, they actually become much more afraid. In the Greek, it says it's a mega fear. It got worse. Oh, you thought that life or death mortal fear was terrifying enough. No, after the disciples saw and witnessed what Jesus could do, they were overcome. They were done with a mega fear. Look at their last question. Who then is this? Who then is this? That even the wind and the sea obey him? You see, the disciples trembled at the realization that this Jesus in their boat 
was more unmanageable, was unimaginably greater, more powerful than the forces of Mother Nature. And throughout the Gospel of Mark, Jesus has already demonstrated total command over disease, physical ailments, as well as demons over the spiritual forces, which we will look at next Sunday. And right here, the wind and the sea, forces of nature. You know, I happened to grow up in a church my entire life. But my dad became a Christian after many years. I was around maybe elementary school. But growing up in the church, we went to a lot of camps, a lot of retreats. They were like week long. And I grew up near camp, campfire stories. And I will readily admit to you, there is probably nothing worse theologically than stories from junior high kids jacked up on, on Coke. That's Coca-Cola. Uh, I, I don't know why I felt the need to tell some of you that. That's Coca-Cola and uh, instant noodles and s'mores trying to scare one another at 3 a.m. Probably nothing worse theologically. Two favorite topics I recall. It was the rapture and hell. If you don't know what the rapture is, don't bother. But we love trying to scare one another with our own conjectures, imaginations, what hell would be like. And we talk about, oh, how awful the fire would be or what the demons would look like and how long the suffering and the torment would go on. And, and then, of course, the devil himself. How awful and scary the devil would be. But do you know that the New Testament teaches us that the thing we ought to be most afraid of, the most awful part of hell is not any of those things I just mentioned. It actually says, you and I have to flee the wrath of God to come. Flee the wrath of God to come more than anything else. Here's why. Because there is nobody actually scarier, nobody more awful to face, Nobody truer, nobody more exacting, nobody more furious than God himself at all that is evil. All those who are characterized by evil, all those who commit evil, all those who complicitly stand by evil. There is really an awful revelation in the book of Revelation. Chapter 6, verses 15 to 16. This is the apostle John, who had this vision, which will come true. Oh, assuredly, it will come true. Verse 15, it reads, Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone slave and free hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. The lamb being Jesus, the son of God. We'd rather have the rocks and the mountains crush us to death than to face the wrath, the holy wrath of God against us. Mega fear. This is somewhat of what the disciples started to feel when you are in the presence of someone so much superior so much greater who knows all things and is perfectly holy and true. So we come to the fourth movement 
and how we need it desperately. A mega calm. How can anyone stand before holy God with mega calm rather than just be completely wrecked by mega fear? How can a legitimate, most appropriate, eyes wide open, mega fear ever become a mega calm? Because you know the word for after the wind ceased and the sea became calm, calm in verse 39. What does it say in the Greek? Oh, you can guess it. That was a mega calm, a mega calm, dead calm still. How can mega fear turn into a mega calm? The key is verse 37. When the disciples came to wake up Jesus, only to scream at him, do you not care? Don't you care? But when Jesus heard this from his disciples, when Jesus heard that cry from his own disciples, he was on the boat because he cared. He was on that very boat because he did care. Now listen, there are plenty of times you and I don't care. And other people can tell you just don't care. And then there are other times you really do care. You really do care, but you can be maybe mistrusted or accused or even perceived like you don't care at all. And that delivers a special kind of hurt. And I want you to see what Jesus must have felt upon this boat. Don't you care? Don't you care? He would have never been in the storm with them. But because he cares, he was in the boat with his disciples and he calms the storm. Because Jesus cares, he was born in human flesh. Vulnerable, exposed to everything you and I could ever experience. Because Jesus so cares... He could put up with disciples who fell asleep on him in his greatest hour of need. Do you know how much Jesus really cares? This is the key. This is the key. Do you really know how much Jesus cares for you? It makes all the difference between a mega fear and a mega calm. And it is that Jesus could care so much that he ultimately came to calm all storms break down all brokenness, destroy all destruction, heal every hurt to make everything right and to put everything at a mega calm peace. Do you know how he came to do that? It was Jesus Christ himself because he was thrown overboard that boat into the only and ultimate sea that can kill you forever. Jesus was born to drown at the cross. Jesus was born to drown at the cross to turn our mega fear into a mega calm. This is why in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17, it announces to us, therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Propitiation. Oh, one of those seemingly unintelligible but gospel words. Here's what that means. 
Jesus became human. He became just like us to take away, fully absorb the wrath of God in our place. Propitiation means to take away the wrath of God because he died and got drowned in our place. Oh, we went through four movements so far. Four movements, a mortal fear. We saw three demonstrations at least of unimaginable power. Third, a mega fear. Fourth, how can mega fear turn into a mega calm? Let me just close with this very quickly. Four moves you and I can make. Four moves now we can make in response. You can do one or you can do them all. It's really up to you. Here's the first. The first move to make. Cry out for Jesus to be saved from the most furious storm to come. My friends, as long as you can hear and understand this, the gospel, which is good news, wants to set you free, save you from the most furious storm to come. And that is the greatest deliverance God can ever bring to you. He sent Jesus Christ to make peace with you. He sent Jesus Christ not to continue your war or hostility against you. He sent Jesus Christ to make peace with you. As he lived and died in your place, all you have to do is to turn and cry out to him and he will surely save you and he will come into your life. He will come onto your boat if you will, if you want him to and lead you home. This first move is the most important move you could ever make in all of your life. Cry out for Jesus to save you from the most furious storm to come. Here's a second move. Cry out to Jesus in any storm. That's right. You cannot go wrong if you do that. In any storm, cry out to Jesus. Because if this Jesus, if this Jesus did not abandon his disciples and would never abandon you in a mega storm, He'd rather die so you can live in the mega storm. He cannot abandon you in mini storms. He cannot and will not ever abandon you in a smaller storm. Oh, there's so many times. I'd love to tell you these stories one by one where I have sensed and felt someone holding on to me. Like keeping me afloat. In my many storms and traumas and heartbreak losses and suffering in my own short life, someone has been loving me, holding me up, telling me that he's totally on board for me and with me. You can cry out to him as well in any storm. Here's the third move, a third move. Listen to Jesus all the way through. You and I, have to listen to Jesus all the way through. Look, Jesus asked his disciples, why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid? But then he goes on to answer that question with a crucial follow-up question. Have you still no faith? Have you still no faith? You see, evidently, according to Jesus, your fears and my fears, our fears get overblown, completely out of whack when faith in him goes missing. Why are you so afraid? Jesus follows up with the question. Listen to him all the way through. 
Have you still no faith? You see, here's, here's how Jesus calms your fears. Are you with me? Do you want to know how Jesus can calm your fears? He says, put your faith in me. Did you forget about me? That's what he's saying. Have you stopped looking to me? Have you stopped listening to me? Don't you know better about me? Shouldn't you know much more than the disciples ever could know about me on that boat? Don't you know how much I care for you? And if you do know and can hear by faith how much Jesus cares for you, even in the middle of a storm, you can be calm in here while it storms out there. As long as you know how much Jesus cares for you. Here's the fourth last move you can make. Learn from Jesus more. Oh, we're always learning. Yes. The entirety of our lives is to continue to learn and follow Jesus. But especially in a storm, I think you and I can learn all the more. It's the best learning environment. Notice how Jesus, after he calmed the storms, asked these questions that actually have answers loaded in into the questions. He never apologizes to his disciples. He doesn't say like, oh, you know, I'm so sorry that I let you go through that. Oh, you, you know, disciples, I actually, I was caught off guard. I was really asleep. I didn't know that was going to happen to you. He doesn't say any of that. We ought to learn from Jesus more, especially even in the storms. You know, author, pastor, one we quote and one we learn from to this day, Pastor Tim Keller. He once battled thyroid cancer. Right now he's actually battling pancreatic cancer. And in one of these interviews, he was asked, you know, how can we pray for you? And here's what Pastor Keller said. Pray that I'd be set free from my sin, not just from my cancer. Pray that I'd be set free from my sin, not just my cancer. Now, who, who talks like that? Like, who prays like that? Who even wants to pray like that? It's someone who must know that someone unimaginably greater has reasons, has the utmost care, has redemptive purposes even while you go through a storm. Oh, Jesus is altogether good all the time. Jesus is altogether good. If you are his, if you've ever cried out to him and he answers you, comes into your life, there is nothing, no, nothing, no storm you could ever be wrecked by that would have you lose the personal, absolute, enduring care of Jesus Christ for you. John Newton, same author of Amazing Grace, wrote another wonderful piece. We close with this. Be gone, unbelief, my Savior is near. And for my relief will surely appear his love in time past forbids me to think. He will leave me at last in trouble to sink. 
By prayer, let me wrestle and he will perform. With Christ in the vessel, I smile at the storm. With Christ in the vessel, I smile at the storm. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, I pray for nothing less than for people listening in today that you would bring about the greatest deliverance. You would bring about your salvation to all those who cry out for Jesus in the middle of a storm. Lord, you know better than any of us could the extent and the depth of suffering and losses people feel right now. But Lord, I pray that by your word and by your spirit, you would help us to see and feel all the more how much more you care. Because Jesus cares, he came, he was born to live and die in my place to come on board into this life and to rescue and lead us safely home. Oh Lord, I pray for nothing less than Jesus Christ, that you would come into the lives of all those listening in. So we cry out to you, listen to you, and learn from you. Hear us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.